I remember standing in front of my high school and singing solos. Uh, and one time I was standing in front of, it was one of the biggest concerts of the year, and uh, I sang the wrong words uh, in my verse. It was, it was short, but it was the climax of the song. So it takes a lot to get up in front of your peers and to sing, uh, yet alone talk. So um, if you've been spending the summer with us here at Truvine, you know that we're doing a series in Nehemiah. Uh, we've been spending the past oh, five or six weeks uh, since the beginning of the summer. Um, I have Nehemiah 6. So I always want to encourage everyone, if you have a Bible, a phone, a tablet. It's not going to be up on the screen right now, but I'm going to read through chapter 6, and uh, then we're going to pray, but um, I always encourage people to have a Bible so you know how to navigate it. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. It is after Ezra. It's before Psalms. And we're just going to read this real quick through, and it says, Now when, Sam, now when Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Sambalot and Geshem said to me, And they sent to me four times in this way, and answered, and I answered them in the same manner. And in the same way, Sambalot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, and in it was written, it was reported among the nations, and Geshem also said it, that you, the Jews, intend to rebel. That is why you are building a wall, and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets proclaiming concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now the king will hear of these reports, referring back to uh, Artaxerxes in Susa. So now come, let us take counsel together. Then I sent him, saying, No such thing as you have said has been done, for you inventing them out of your own mind where they all wanted to frighten us, thinking, their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, and the son of Mehiktabeth, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I should go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way of sin, so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah, Sambalot, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah, 
and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So when the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in, the fifth, in 52 days, and when all their enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah, Tobiah's letter, letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Jehoianan, and his daughter Meshulam, the son of Berchiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. You guys pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are good. I thank you for the congregation, Truvon, the church here, Lord, that as a community of believers, we can come before you to worship, to dig into your word. Lord, I ask that your spirit would speak through me, that I would be your mouthpiece today and just upon in your greater will. Lord, I ask that you would keep me calm. Lord, I know it's hot. I just pray that your message would get across, that your will would be done. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I stole the clicker here from Wissanoming, so we'll see. Oh, it does work. So going back um, to the very beginning of chapter 6, we see in verses 1 and 2, Nehemiah is, uh, has three people opposing him. Uh, you have Sambalot, Tobiah, Geshem, and these guys, this is not the first time that we've heard these names. Uh, we actually, this is the second time that we've heard them. Um, and they're trying to get Nehemiah to stop building the wall, which is Nehemiah's task from God. That's what he came back from Susa, uh, on the other side of the Persian Empire. And he comes across um, the desert there, and he comes back to Jerusalem. So, his task is to rebuild the wall, and Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem don't want this to happen. Uh, they, they had their grip in Judea, which is the land uh, where Jerusalem is, and Nehemiah is upsetting the, the order there. So, chapter 2, verses 19 to 10 is where we first see these names mentioned. And as you see up here, we have now... You have three names of the guys. But in verse 2, you see that they intended to do him harm. But first, they had gotten information that Nehemiah had built the wall and that there were no breach, breaches left in it, although Nehemiah hadn't done that, and he says that here. So, first of all, the guys that are opposing Nehemiah are getting bad information from the start. Um... Yeah, they're spies or they're, they're goonies or whatever they have to go spy on Nehemiah. They're already giving these three guys bad information. So Nehemiah's getting a bad rep with bad information that, about things that are not true. Um, 
and they want to distract him from his work. So, and they, Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem, they come across in appearing that they, they have good intentions for Nehemiah, that, that diplomacy, um, they're asking him to come down from Jerusalem to meet them. And uh, so I want you to put yourself in Nehemiah's shoes. Are you doing a good work? Jesus Christ is in you, and his scriptures say that he's doing a good work in you. Well, Nehemiah was doing a good work. He's trying to rebuild the city of God, Jerusalem, the capital of the Jews. And do you have people like Nehemiah that are in your life that seem to have good intentions for you, but really don't? Is there anyone in your life that you should really be responding to the way that Nehemiah did, as we'll see? And what I'm coming at is, Nehemiah is isolated. These three have already been um, in the land of Judah, and Nehemiah has come back, so he's an outsider, but he's not, because he's Jewish. But the point is here is, surround yourself with people that aren't looking to harm you as you walk with Jesus. I'd say a place where you can do that is here at True Vine. Uh, you can surround yourself with like-minded believers. Um, while Jim was on vacation, I got to lead the small group. And those guys can really get at each other's throats sometimes. Uh, everyone's laughing that goes there. And I'd invite all of you to go there. Um, but yeah, you, you can do that because we're family. There's this community. We're surrounding ourselves with people who we can be honest with, open with, and it's, it's a safe environment, and they're not looking to do harm to you. So this is just a layout. I'm big on maps. I'm kind of a geography nerd. Um, so you have Jerusalem here. It should actually be over here a little more. Um, but you have Jerusalem here, and I just wanted to point this out. So that's where Nehemiah is working. That's where he's rebuilding the wall. These guys want him to go to Hakifrium. So there's this map. Jerusalem's right about here. This is the best I could do for you guys, for your visual. And they want him to come around here. So here's your Google Earth image. Uh, that's where Jerusalem is. And that's where modern-day Hakifrium would be. Uh, it's kind of near Tel Aviv. So you can see that they're just trying to draw him away um, from safety, really. How does Nehemiah know that he's doing the will of God? Because he says, I'm doing a good work. Well, my assumption is that Nehemiah had an active prayer life. And that's not an assumption, that's a fact. We've already seen that through the first five chapters. That uh, Nehemiah is uh, in constant communication with the leaders of the Jews, but he's also in constant communication with God. So... His active prayer life and communication with God, we've seen that before, and we know that he could confidently say, I'm doing a great work, because he's speaking to God, he's speaking, he's a good leader. Nehemiah is a great example of how we can know that we're doing a good work in Christ. Now, another thing I wanted to point out is in... Chapter 6, verse 3, it says, I'm sending messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work, which is what I just said, and I cannot come down. 
So you have this word down here, and he uses it again in the same verse, down. Now, down is referring geographically, elevation-wise. Jerusalem is in the highest part of Israel. Now, there's a higher mountain that's all the way on the Syrian border. But Jerusalem, Israel kind of builds up, as you can see with this. So you have the Dead Sea. That's where people read the newspaper and float on their backs. And you have the Dead Sea. But then Jerusalem is up here. They want him to come down. So there's this symbolism of surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded. It's safe. You can talk. Um, they're not trying to tempt you or make you commit sin. But the symbolism here in, in verse 3 is, I cannot come down. Nehemiah says that to Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. I can't come down. Now that's talking geographically, but... Just think about that. If you're spending time around people that are trying to do harm to you, you're lowering your standards in front of God. So I just wanted to point that out to you. Um, that's my own thing. That's not really what Nehemiah was meant here, meaning here as he wrote the word down. So going to verses 4 through 9. Uh, it says, and they sent for me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. And in the same way, Sambalot, for the fifth time, sent his servants to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. So, we're in the world, and if we're doing the work of the Lord... And walking with Jesus correctly, I'm going to tell you, you're going to come up against opposition. If you're doing the Lord's work right, you're going to come up with some opposition, temptation, retaliation, or intimidation if you're doing the work of the Lord. Because the things of God are not of this world, but you are not of this world if you are of Christ. Your hope is greater. So, the world will consistently come at you. And that's what I'm trying to point out as I underline four times and then five times. These guys are just coming at Nehemiah diplomatically with letter after letter. And then the fifth letter, it's almost a habit once you get to the fifth time. Nehemiah opened it up and, oh, another letter from these guys again. It's just... So the fifth time, it's like a habit, but the fifth letter is different. It's open. It's an open letter, and uh, as I'm doing my study and research, uh, my understanding of an open letter was just something that was read in public. So this would be in the main city there in Jerusalem, I'm assuming. So Chris touched on that slightly. Like I said, I don't know the last time I've received a letter at all in the mail. So, so you get five times that Nehemiah's face with these diplomatic uh, letters, and the fifth one's kind of dirty. It's like read in front of everyone. They're spreading these rumors about him. Um, you're trying to become king. Uh, king Artaxerxes, who's the king of the Persian Empire, the one that sent Nehemiah back to Jerusalem, he said that he's going to hear about this. Um, you, have, you have prophets that you've planted in the city, that are proclaiming your own goodness. So there's all these rumors that are 
coming around. So they're, they're still trying to draw Nehemiah away from Jerusalem. So come take counsel with us, as it says in verse 7. So come take counsel with us. Uh, but Chris touched on this last week as he went over chapter 6, but we need to hit it again. Nehemiah has the perfect response to the temptations that he's facing, and I think it's a good response of how us Christians should also respond as an example of consistency. He's already denied him four times. He's doing it a fifth time. Nehemiah is consistent. And he stays consistent with his no, despite having multiple attempts to tempt him to come from Jerusalem. So the point here is Christians should be consistent. I know that's a problem for me personally. This hits home. Um, how, how are you living your everyday life? How do you respond from day to day? Do I act differently in front of you guys than I do in front of the Wissanoming campus than I do when I'm at the soccer team at Cairn University? Is there a level of consistency when I'm responding to sin, temptation? Are you guys being consistent? Don't answer that but it's just something to think about. Christians should be consistent, especially as the world is becoming more sinful. Um, so yeah, it's just something to think about. Uh, are you responding to your temptations and opposition the same way every time? Nehemiah says, no, 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 a million times, five times. Um, but he also says you're making it up. No such thing as you have, you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. When I read that, I just kind of translate that as you're, you're crazy. Um, is what Nehemiah is really saying to them in the most diplomatic way. So are your responses consistent? Are they, if you're getting false accusations against you like Nehemiah, how do you respond to that? Are they consistent? But also, are they appropriate? There's an appropriateness that has to be in that level of consistency. Um, it's something I'm still working on. Obviously, I'm a little bit younger than most of you. Uh, but that puts the pressure back on you. You've experienced life longer than I have. So how are they seeing you guys respond to things of politics or social issues or stuff like that. And then with, to close out this section, Nehemiah calls out to God and he says, God, give me the strength. Be now, O God, he prays, because Nehemiah has a great prayer life. Be now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. This is the image I get. I see Nehemiah like on his knees in front of God. He's just looking up and he says, God, be my strength. Strengthen my hands. He needs God's help to keep this level of consistency. I think Nehemiah recognizes that he can't do this on his own, but rather it's God's help. And God's comfort that is helping Nehemiah through this. So 
So we go to verses 10 and 11, and this is the transition in the story of this chapter. It says, Now when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah. Now Shemaiah, Shemaiah, he isn't mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Uh, We don't know much about him. Uh, Nehemiah obviously was, as a good leader, um, Shemaiah was confined to his home. So Nehemiah is going to visit him. Uh, It's like a home visit. It's possible that he was a priest because as he's talking with Nehemiah, he says, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. End of sentence. But then also, they're coming to kill you by night. So they're coming to kill you. That's a level of paranoia. But they're coming to kill you by night. That's another level of paranoia, I feel like. So it's one aspect if somebody's coming at you in broad daylight. It's another if you're sleeping and they're trying to come at you. But Nehemiah has another response that's consistent and doesn't sin. Once again, he says, and it's also an example of a good leader. But I said, should such a man as I, a man in leadership, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple? Nehemiah is not a priest. He can't really go into the temple. You can go into the outer courtyard and worship and do your sacrifices because they're still in the sacrificial system at this point. But he can't, Nehemiah cannot go into the temple. That's pretty much bringing judgment upon yourself of God because uh, God is holy and only the priest, the high priest could go in there once a year to the Holy of Holies and then um, there's a system of only uh, specific times when the priest could go in the temple. So Nehemiah is trying not to sin. And he says, why should I hide? First off, because I'm a diplomatic leader, a political leader. Second off, why should I sin and go into the temple? Nehemiah also refuses to be a coward in these set of verses. And he sets an example for his people, but does this while being tempted to sin, go hide in the temple, which he did not do because he wasn't a priest, of course. He stands in the face of adversity without sinning. So do we as Christians run in the face of adversity? I think the answer to that is no, we shouldn't. Um, I think we do especially when it gets very heated and very political. Uh, When we're persecuted, we lay down and submit. So should we run in the face of opposition? No. And I think Nehemiah sets an example here. um, That you you can be nonviolent as a Christian. You can be nonviolent in still not be a coward. Um, Nehemiah's not attacking his enemies who are trying to draw him away. He could take, easily take the army out there and battle these guys. But he's, he's doing a good work. He's staying in Jerusalem. He's, he knows what God wants him to do. So you can be nonviolent as Nehemiah wasn't attacking. He's not on the offensive. But Nehemiah is definitely not a coward as well because he's not running. He's responding consistently to temptation of all kinds, politically and spiritually. 
And so that's a, that's, it's just a great example of as the world gets worse and worse to me, that we shouldn't run when things get tough. The American church has yet to face real deep persecution. But I think it's coming. Slowly. It's just something that's been on my heart. I've talked to my father about it multiple times. I, I get this little magazine. It's called Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, and it talks about people who have been under the old Soviet system and the communism system where they've truly been tortured for Christ. Um, so yeah, I think when times get tough, are we, are we ready to face it? It's just something to think about. So then we go verses 12 through 14. Uh, we learn that Shemaiah is a false prophet. And Nehemiah says, I understood and I saw that God had not sent him. So he's, he's a false prophet, or he, he speaks falsely of the things of God, uh, telling Nehemiah to, to run and go in the temple. So Nehemiah refuses to be a coward. He sets an example. Um, Nehemiah sees through discernment that Shemaiah was not of God. Uh, this, could, this is definitely a result of his prayer life, that he's able to discern this. Therefore, God's answer was clear to him that Shemaiah is, he's a, he's a fugazi, he's phony, he's, he's fake. Um, that he shouldn't be trusted, he shouldn't be listened to. Um, Nehemiah prays again in verse 14. says, remember, Tobiah, Sambalat, he's been backstabbed now. People are within him, within Jerusalem, trying to get him as... Uh, Shemaiah is trying to do. Remember Tobiah, Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So Nehemiah is not only surrounded on the outside, they're trying to get him to leave Jerusalem, come to the outside, but there's also people within the walls of Jerusalem that are trying to give him a bad rep and trying to make him afraid. And I think Nehemiah keeps going with the example that we should consistently be praying to God. He prays in verse 14. But another thing is on the long, along the lines of not being a coward, not running from opposition. Um, revenge is the Lord's. It's not ours. We should not, as Christians, be going to attack people that um, are against us in certain things. But Nehemiah says, remember them. And the God will remember. God will remember them. So, revenge is not yours. It's the Lord's. And so we move to verses 15 and 16. And now we see that the wall is finished in 52 days. Um... 52 days, and when all our enemies heard it, and all the nations around us were afraid, they fell greatly in their own esteem, for they had perceived this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So this is something that uh, I love in this chapter. And so the wall is finished in 52 days. Now, I'm not a builder. I'm good at taking orders. 
when it comes to, I guess, landscaping, they're building the wall around Jerusalem. I don't know what that officially falls under uh, occupationally. But they finished it in 52 days, and it's obviously a daunting task. Um, as you can see, that even the surrounding nations recognize and assume that God had helped build the wall so fast. Uh, they perceived it, and they saw that some exterior force was in it with the Israelites as they rebuild the wall. So, what's the big point there? Anything is possible with God. This wall was finished in 52 days. I don't know if any of you have been to Jerusalem, but that wall is big. That's not the wall that Nehemiah built, but it's a large area to cover. And to do it within 52 days, I definitely couldn't do it. Um, we got a couple handy people here in the church. We'll have them size it up and see if they can do it in 52 days. Build a wall, a wall around, I don't know, church here, distant. But yeah, anything is possible if it's God's will, and if you have God's help, which Nehemiah did. So, how often do you guys, myself included, when I say you guys, I mean us, you guys ask and plead for the Lord's help? Of course, you're praying, I assume. But how often do you, as in the Psalms, are you emotionally pleading with God your case before Him? That's what it looked like. This is from the ESV Study Bible. Um, I don't know if you, Jason, you're a handyman. Could you build a wall in 52 days? You don't have to answer that. But it's a, it's a big wall. Um, that's a small picture. But that's what the finished product might have looked like. There you go. So then the chapter closes with the wall being done completed and the story ends happy. No. We find out in verses 17 through 19 that there's still opposition brewing against Nehemiah and it comes from Tobiah. Tobiah had established himself in Judah and he had influence and political power through marriages as it's explained in 18 with all these Jewish names, uh, Shekinah, the son of Era, the son of Jehoianan, the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Perchiah, as his wife. So this guy is powerful. He has uh, alliances through weddings, um, joint families. So here's the point with this, as verses 17 through 19, is that opposition is still coming at Nehemiah. The job's done, but the work is not finished if that makes sense. Sin, temptation, opposition, it will always be present if you're doing God's will. Because like I said, God is not of this world. So I'm going to ask Rachel, if you can come up right now, start strumming as we, I close here. Um, the conclusions that I have from this chapter, I, I tried to dig in deep Thank you for suffering with me through this. Uh, I love you guys. So this is what I'm trying to take away. This is what I took away. I hope the Spirit moves you. But this is my conclusions. Is that one, 
You can't stop God. I think that's simple. I, tr- I tried to keep it simple. You can't stop God. Um, he was obviously in the work of Nehemiah. He's building the wall. The nations are like, wow, Nehemiah got the job done in 52 days. So, no matter what, you can't stop God. I think that's simple. Two, you need to get on board with His will, His will, God's will, His will and purpose. Or you need to you need to get out of the way. Um, a good pastor told me uh, he gave me this illustration. He's like, God's will is like a wave in the ocean. I know. Mostly if you like to go to the beach. God's wave, God's will is like a wave in that if you're standing in the water, you can see the wave and you can hop on the wave and go with it. Or you could just stand there and let it hit you. Either way, it's going to take you. You need to get on board with His will and purpose or you need to get out of the way. That can hit home. That can be tough for churches. Um, Jim and Louise are clear in their direction. I know one of the things that they're adamant about right now is that we're, we want to be a praying church. So if you don't want to be a praying church, I don't know what you're doing. Here, at least. And the third thing, and the final thing, is that prayer and scripture are the way to discern His will, God's will, for your life through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah, like I said, he was a great leader. He communicated this way to the people, and he communicated this way, which is more important than this way. He communicated this way to God through his prayer life. And through his prayer life, he got discernment, He recognized who was against him, who was for him. And I hope you guys are praying as well, realizing that God is for you. And through prayer and study of his word, and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you can can have discernment as well. It's a spiritual gift to discernment. so yeah, those are the three things that I wanted you guys to take away from this. Um, I just want to do this real quick. I'm done. I'll spare you guys more. Can we take just a few moments right now? Individually, nobody wants to pray out loud. Can you just, in your seat, can you pray along these lines, I guess? In that we align here as Truvine. Can we align pray hard, study hard. God has spoken. He's spoken right here. This is a big book. It's written by God through men. Can we pray that we can discern His will for true vine? That we can focus in through the Holy Spirit and just become more intimate with God. So can you guys pray along those lines for a few moments and then I'll ask Jim Jim can close us. Rachel can keep strumming. Um, Jim will close us then. And yeah, I'm going to go pray.
each one of us goes through every week uh, with dozens or even hundreds of voices uh, in our head. So your, your voice could be your voice, could be your spouse's voice, your boss's voice, your professor's voice, your mom's voice, which is always the worst, your dad's voice. Your na- I mean, I'm not even talking about someone that has a condition. I'm saying we all hear voices using guilt or fear or shame to motivate us. There's nothing that will tune your ear to God's voice more than this book. I mean, nothing will sharpen your ability to discern better than this book. And as Phil led us through this passage, I mean, it really was a story of Nehemiah choosing to hear one voice, not to listen to fear, not even to listen to accusation or even the suggestions of a religious person to just listen to the voice of God. And nothing's going to increase your ability to do that more than being familiar with what he's already said. This book will help you know his character and his voice. So I want to pray as we wrap up. This one I want to pray that we would love studying the Bible. The reason we don't do it is because sometimes it feels dry. Like running a marathon and then quenching your thirst with graham crackers. I want to ask that God would would help us enjoy our time in His Word. Because when we we enjoy it, we'll do more of it. Lord, we love Your Word and we value it. The living and active Word of God. We value Your Word. And we believe it's true, that it's infallible, that it's inspired, that it's authoritative, that it's really the only authority for our faith, for what we believe, and also the way we live our faith out would you give us a great joy to be in your word lord would you silence the voice of guilt that actually prevents us from studying your word but would you give us a hunger for your word give us the ability to discern and zero in on your voice to us and not the voice of fear or accusation not the lying voices, not even the religious voices, but your voice, Jesus. Train our ears to hear you. Give us the bravery to stand on your word. And I pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen.